Welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're just joining us, we're so glad that you're here on this beautiful fall morning. Looking forward to Thanksgiving and enjoying this season of thanks. Great worship this morning, Mark and Julie. Thank you for all those good, thank you, thankful songs. How many of you have already put up your Christmas tree? How many are waiting till after Thanksgiving? Judge not lest ye be judged. Everybody's ranting on Facebook, telling everybody that it's too soon or too late, and just do what you want. This is part of our Christian liberty. You can put your tree up. It says that in the Bible. You can put your tree up early if you want to. It doesn't say that. There's no Christmas trees in the Bible. But we've been talking about liberty, and that certainly is an area of liberty where we can enjoy things without being judged. All right. Did you ever fall into the trap of trying to become a different person just to impress a girl or a guy? Or brutally making fun of a friend? Or maybe using bad language just to fit in with the cool kids? Or maybe lowering your standards to get noticed or to get ahead at work? I am guilty of Several of these. Anybody else guilty of some of these things? We often try so hard to be liked and to be included that we will do almost anything. And for those of you that are younger, I am not saying any of these things as suggestions or strategies. They are poor choices that usually backfire. And so don't make those mistakes that I made. You can ask your parents about those decisions that they made over dinner today. So today, In the letter to the church of Corinth, the Apostle Paul talks about giving up some of his liberty, and that's been the theme over the last several weeks. He's giving up some of his liberty, some of his freedoms, and in today's passage, it's to share the gospel. It's to be able to see people come to know Jesus Christ. But Paul never lowered his biblical standards. He never stooped to sin to do this. He never considered his testimony worthy of putting on the side burner just so that he could reach someone. He maintained his godly lifestyle, but he was willing to give up some personal preferences and even some long-held traditions just to see lost people become followers of Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't doing any of these things to be cool. I don't think they had Ray-Ban sunglasses in his day. And he wasn't doing it to win a trophy that said greatest apostle. In fact, he called himself the least of the apostles, the least of the ministers. Paul was humble in that way. But his goal was to see Jesus Christ magnified and to see God receive all of the glory that he deserves. It was never about Paul. It was always about Jesus. Paul effectively reached unbelievers right where they were. But he still protected his testimony, he still protected his personal life in full obedience to Jesus Christ and his word. The Apostle Paul had an effective witness for Jesus, and we can too. So if you're here with us for the first time, maybe you're watching for the first time, we're in a series in the epistle or letter to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, and we've called it Living in Light of Eternity. The Apostle Paul is writing to an actual church of people just like us, except they lived 2,000 years ago and they 
lived across the sea in a city called Corinth. There were many problems that they were dealing with, and sometimes the people in the church are writing to Paul and asking him specific questions, and he's answering those. He starts with, now, concerning this. Every time we see that, now concerning, we know that he's answering another question. But then Paul also throws in some additional teaching, some things that he just wants to make sure that they're thinking about, that they're aware of. The Apostle Paul helped plant this church. He started this ministry, and then after spending some years there, he moved on to another place. So he's writing back to good friends, to people that he saw, come to know the Lord, and he wants them to follow Jesus Christ. Paul deals with problems that Corinth is struggling with, and they're problems that we'd probably deal with today as well. Things like sexual morality, issues in marriage, divorce, singleness, using our spiritual gifts, the need for things to be done in love, not out of compulsion or just because we feel guilty or maybe because we do things so that other people will like us and we can fit in. And then Paul wraps up the book with a discussion about Christ's resurrection, that we serve a risen Savior and that we have that same hope that we will be raised, whether it's in the rapture or it's after death, we will be with Christ, we will see him, and we will stand before him. And in light of eternity, in light of the place where we're going to spend eternity in heaven, if we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, we want to live our lives in light of that. And if you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to think in light of eternity. This world is all we know right now, but God, who is outside of time, who is outside of this world, has told us that there is an eternity ahead of every one of us. And if we trust his son as Savior, we'll spend eternity in heaven with him. But if we deny his son and we continue to do things our own way, we will spend eternity in hell, separated from God, and in darkness, in torment for eternity. That's an important decision, and Paul wants to make sure that everyone is aware of that. Before we read this morning's passage, I'd like to take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for each one who's here at First Baptist Church and for those that are watching online with us. Lord, I just pray that as we hear your word this morning, that we would look for ourselves in it, that we would see where we are following you or where we need to change things in our lives to bring glory to your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be hearers and to be doers, that the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act would be different as a result of living a life that pleases you. Lord, I pray that the gospel would be clear this morning, that we would have tender hearts to listen and to hear it today. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. So in verses, um, I haven't read it yet, so I can't talk about those verses. Sorry. Let's read it first. <laughs> Chapter 9. I'm getting way ahead of myself. All right. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 19 to 27. We're going to finish up the chapter this morning. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law 
that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might, have, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified." First of all, Paul addresses this continuing theme of freedom and slavery, and we see this specifically in verses 19 and 23. Paul is referencing these freedoms that he has in Jesus Christ, but he also says, there are things that I'm willing to give up. Even though I'm free to do them, I'm willing to give them up for the sake of the gospel. Just as last week, we saw that he was willing to give up any kind of pay, so that as he shared the gospel, people knew that he was doing it just out of his love and compassion for them. He expected nothing in return. He says, even though I'm free from all of these things, and even though you could pay me, I don't owe you anything. I'm just going to preach the gospel clearly. I don't work for you. I work for Jesus Christ. But I choose to be a servant of all. I choose to give up my liberty and my freedoms so that I can win more people to Jesus Christ. Paul was willing to give up these choices just to help others see Jesus. And then down in verse 23, he says, I do all these things for the sake of the gospel so I can share with other people the blessings of forgiveness, of salvation, of eternal life, peace with God, and even freedom in Jesus Christ. In the ESV that we're reading this morning, the Apostle Paul is using the word win. In some other translations, it says gain. It's not a contest. He's not witnessing to a certain number of people so that he can check that off his list and say, is that enough, God? Am I worthy of heaven now? He's not bragging about how many people joined the church Paul's relationship with Jesus Christ is so important that he wants others to experience it too. And that's even at the cost of his own freedom. And eventually, it would be at the cost of his own life. As his life is coming to a close, he's waiting in a Roman prison to be tried and executed for preaching the gospel, for sharing the gospel. And in the letter to the church at Philippi, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. My life is over, but I want to make sure that you know the gospel. And even there in chains, he's witnessing to his guards, to the people serving in Rome. And Paul says, I rejoice because of this. I'm so thankful to be counted worthy to be here in chains for preaching the gospel. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Today, people shy away 
from sharing the gospel, sometimes because they think they're proselytizing. You're not trying to win an argument. You're not trying to win a convert to make someone converted to your way of thinking. You're not trying to make a mini-me who walks and talks and acts and looks just like you. Some of the past missions efforts sometimes look like this, where they went to indigenous people and then they adopted all of the missionaries' customs. They started dressing in European or Western wear. They started eating what the missionaries ate and they sang their songs and often they adopted their language. And sometimes that looked more like colonization. We know the people's hearts that they wanted to share the gospel, but often they were, in a way, asking the people to give up their culture and become like Europeans. Our culture is not better than someone else's, just like we saw in the book of Jonah. The goal is for someone to know and follow Jesus Christ, not to know and follow you. And we don't want people to confuse that. True believers are not trying to build a bigger church so that there's more money and possibly winning God's favor. The motive is love, compassion for people who are lost without Jesus Christ, people around you who don't have peace, people who are dying in their sin, suffering from its consequences, people like your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, your friends. Do you care enough for these people to share the gospel with them? It's not because you want them to be good or to stay out of trouble, but you care for their souls. You want them to know Jesus Christ. So Paul talks about freedom and slavery, and it's just encapsulating this. So keep that in the back of your mind as we talk about the rest of this message, being an effective witness. It's giving up your freedom. It's giving up some of the things that you're able to do so that you can reach people. All right, shifting gears. You ready? We're going into second gear now. How many athletes do we have out here? Current athletes or past athletes? What are some of the sports that you play? Baseball? Soccer? Wrestling? Basketball? Any other? Lacrosse? Softball? Tennis? Hockey? Awesome. How about some of our older people? What are some of the things you did in, back in high school that we never, would never know about? Let me hear some of your sports. Track? Volleyball. Anybody else? Track? Tennis. Cross country. That's tough. So 2,000 years ago, People did not have professional sports, but they loved, just like we do, watching top athletes compete. And of course, they had the Olympic Games. The Olympics <clears throat> had been going on in Greece. <clears throat> Excuse me. Those Olympic backstories are getting me all choked up already, just thinking about <clears throat> all the things she had to do to get here today. Oh. Sorry. <clears throat> so, the Olympics had been going on for centuries. Do you realize that? They were way before Jesus Christ. They had been going on for centuries, and they were a major draw. 
Every four years, top athletes went to Greece and they competed. And then right here in the city of Corinth, where, where Paul is writing to the church, they had the Isthmian Games. There's a bunch of consonants in there, Isthmian Games. And they were held every two years. And athletes competed, as you can see from the screen, in running, in the long jump, in boxing, in the javelin throw, in wrestling, chariot racing. There was a beginning of NASCAR going on there. And a boxing wrestling mashup, which I had never heard of, called Pancration. And it's kind of like UFC, where almost anything goes except for eye gouging and biting. So other than that, you could do anything to take out your opponent. And that, again, sounds kind of like some of our entertainment today. So Paul, knowing his audience, knowing that these people love sports, uses some sports analogies to help the people in Corinth understand this message. And even if you're not a serious athlete or a big sports fan, I think you're going to understand these concepts. The Apostle Paul talks about agility. He's not talking about flexible, physical flexibility, but he's talking about being able to shift, to pivot, based on the people that you're trying to reach. He stresses the importance of keeping your eyes on the prize, about knowing your goals so that as you make it through tough training, that you get up again after you've been knocked down, that you will persevere. And then he lays out some training strategies, some plans to help improve your game, to build up endurance so that you last until the final whistle. And finally, he reminds us that if you're disqualified, you're out of the competition. It's all lost if you don't follow the rules. And you see how upset we get about bad calls or missed calls in games, right? We'll talk about it for months or years if people don't follow the rules. And while we have freedom in Jesus Christ, there are still rules for living the Christian life. So first of all, let's talk about agility. The Apostle Paul discusses three different groups of people and talks about how he shows flexibility or agility in reaching each one of these groups with the gospel. The first one we see in verse 20 is the Jews. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews as under the law. Even though as Christians we don't have to follow Old Testament Jewish laws and traditions, Paul said, I will submit to those if I can gain the respect, if I can gain the ears of fellow Jews to share the gospel. And then Paul clarifies this, and each one of these verses has parenthesis. He says, though not being myself under the law. As a Christian, the Apostle Paul, even as a former Jew, didn't have to follow Jewish culture. But if he flaunted that liberty in front of other Jews, they would just immediately turn him off and not even listen to him. So here's a current day example maybe for some of you. Those of you that grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, just as an example, you may want nothing to do with the church anymore. But if you openly discredit it, if you talk badly about the church, about your former practices, and say how horrible all of that was, you're going to have a hard time sharing your new faith by grace alone with family members and with your Catholic friends. Does that make sense? So if you're out bad-mouthing where you came from, they're not going to want to listen to you. 
And I'm not saying you say all of that was great and it's all perfect, but you purposefully adjust the way you think. You're agile. And Paul was a Jew. Next, in verse 21, he talks about Gentiles. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And again, here's the parentheses. He's not talking about the entire law of Moses, but he's talking about the traditions. And Gentiles don't have to follow the law of Moses. Paul is free to talk to them, free to eat with them. He can ignore his Jewish customs while he's with the Gentiles. And in the parentheses, he says, I'm not outside the law, but I'm under the law of Christ. Paul's saying, I'm not going to ignore God's moral law. So the Ten Commandments are still with us, but we don't have tassels on our robes, men. We don't have long hair in the front. We don't follow a lot of those traditions, and and many of us don't follow a kosher diet, although some people decide to do that just for health reasons. But we don't have to follow any of those things as believers in Jesus Christ. Talking to Gentiles about Jesus wouldn't even be possible under the Jewish customs because they would just totally cross the street and avoid a Gentile. They would never even talk to them. So for us today, this maybe would be some of your non-Christian friends or someone from another faith like Islam or even atheists who have no faith. At least they claim they have no faith. How are you going to talk to them? How are you going to reach them and have a conversation where you're not offending them right from the beginning by just throwing shame or just discrediting everything they believe, everything they stand for? Start by asking questions. Why do you believe this? How did you understand this? What's the truth in this? And draw them into a conversation so you can share the gospel. And Paul says, I'm willing to do that just so I can share the gospel. And then verse 22, he talks about another group, to the weak, I became weak. He's not talking about physical weakness, about people who can't get up out of their chair. He's talking about spiritual or moral discernment, mental discernment. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when we read that passage earlier, uh, verses 1 to 5, Paul reminded the Corinthians that when he came to them, he didn't come with lofty or fancy speech. He didn't come to them with esoteric wisdom and try to uh, show them from philosophy. This is how things work. He didn't share the gospel in difficult terms. He made it really plain and simple. And he left it to the Holy Spirit, as we should, to convict people of their sins. We need to share the gospel truth, but we don't need to build up these arguments to try to trick people or to get them to say the wrong thing and make them look weak or simple. The Apostle Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel. And I was with you in weakness, in fear and trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you're following this man and thinking, oh, he's explained everything to me, then you're going to keep following him instead of following Jesus. 
Paul, again, wanted the focus always to be on Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 22 is Paul's summary of agility. I've become, to all, I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Paul shifted his approach, even his words and actions, depending on who he was talking to. Just like in sports, when you know your opponent and you react to their strategy, Paul was willing to reach people where they were so that they would see that he cared about them and that he wanted to understand them. His desire was to share the gospel with people so that they would be saved. And it didn't matter if he gave up some of his freedoms or even his comfort, his traditions, in order to do that, because it was worth it all. For, this, for us today, this might be spending time with your non-Christian friends at a backyard cookout, or maybe inviting them over for a game of Catan or Euchre, if you can figure that out, or watching the Bills game. Maybe it's going to your town games, football and volleyball and basketball, to root for your friends' kids, or making friends with the other soccer moms or the football dads. Trying your hand at pickleball, which is the fastest growing sport in the universe, according to Frank. (laughs) It might be accepting an invitation to a cookie exchange or joining up with revitalized Dunkirk to make our town look better. It may be a stretch for you to talk to someone from a different generation, someone who's older or younger than you. Whatever it is, look for opportunities to build friendships, to connect with non-believers, so that you will have opportunities to share your compassion, your care for them, and then God's love and care for them. Most people, or you've heard people say, they won't know how much you care until you show how much you care. People have to see that you care about them and you're not just trying to hit them over the head with what you believe or this is what my church teaches. This is Jesus Christ who changed my life and I'd love to introduce you to him. But before you have the opportunity to say that sentence, you have to build a friendship and you have to really care about people. And it's not just so that you can share the gospel and now I'm done with this person. It's build a lifetime friendship because it may be a lifetime of sharing the gospel before that person accepts Christ. We can't become a holy huddle of Christians who are just happy to be here at church. We've got our arms around each other and nobody else is allowed into the huddle and we don't go out into the stands. We have to have an effective witness. So get out there and let your light shine. Matthew 5.16 was our prayer list verse of the week and that's a good one. To memorize, let your light shine. So we need to be agile. We need to be flexible. And next, Paul says, you need to keep your eyes on the prize. This is verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And again, he's talking about winning as a description of people coming to know Jesus Christ. Winning for Paul was seeing the lost come to repentance, come to salvation. It wasn't winning people to be on Team Paul in that whole apostle discussion, right? We're for Paul, we're for Apollos, we're for Peter. Peter, Paul wanted people to be for Jesus. You don't enter a race 
just to crawl across the finish line. You run like you want to win. As Cindy read earlier in Philippians chapter 3, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said we, don't, we need to keep looking forward to our final call to heaven. Don't look back. We can't change the past, so don't stress about the mistakes, your missed opportunities. We're called to confess. We're called to repent of our sins. But don't sideline yourself because you think you're never good enough to serve. Because the truth is, none of us are good enough. Right? The Bible tells us that. It's only Christ's righteousness covering our sins that makes us acceptable to God. So don't judge yourself harshly for your past. Don't ignore it. Deal with it. Talk to God about it. But then move forward. And Paul says, keep pressing forward. Paul uses that same description, just like in Pilgrim's Progress. Jake got me a great shirt. I wore it this week with the Pilgrim. And he's got this huge pack on his back. Do you know Pilgrim's Progress? It's a great book to read. It's an allegory of our walk as Christians. And this Pilgrim is carrying this huge pack that is weighing him down step after step. And finally, he realizes that he doesn't have to carry his sin. He can leave all of that at the foot of the cross. Christ paid the price for our sin. And when we repent, when we confess our sin, that pack comes off and we're ready to just run forward. We leave it there. We don't keep straining under it, thinking that we have to fix it ourselves. Such a great picture. So we need to keep our eyes on the prize, seeing Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and lead as many people so that they can find him too. We can't save anyone, but we can introduce them to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who offered his own life in a loving sacrifice to forgive and to redeem all who would call on his name. So Paul says, keep your eyes on that prize. Keep going forward and don't look back. Don't leave yourself buried under a weight of sin. How do we get moving forward? How do we build up that stamina? How do we get rid of those weights, the things, the sins that so easily pull us down? It's by training. And we see this in verses 25 to 20. 27. Here's where Paul goes into full sports analogy mode. Athletes need self-control. They need discipline in order to train and compete well. You don't just show up for a 5K or a marathon without doing any, any training at all. I know I would not make it very far. You need to spend months or more of training and building up your stamina, building up your endurance, building up your muscles so that you can keep going. And you don't just show up for a wrestling match without spending lots of time in practice, learning and repeating moves and counter moves so that they become second nature, so that you know exactly what to do in every situation you've trained and you've prepared for it. And then in team sports, the team plays together because everyone has learned those plays and you know where you're supposed to be and you know where everyone else is supposed to be and you trust your teammates so that 
you throw the ball or kick the ball or move to wherever you're supposed to be, believing that they're going to be where they're supposed to be. You learn the rules of the game so that you play it correctly. Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. And that made me think of a Monty Python sketch about the race for people with absolutely no sense of direction. You can Google that later. It's one that's just stuck in my head from a long time ago. I'm not going to ruin the punchline, but watch it. Runners need a clearly marked finish line. They need to know the course and how to get there. If it's an oval track, it's not too hard. But I've watched cross country, and you can get lost really easily if you're not following the course. You can end up in the wrong place completely and never find the finish line. If you're going to share the gospel, you need to clearly know God's word. You need to know the gospel and what it entails so that when you're ready to share it, you know what to say. You may also want to think about how to ask good questions about faith, about people's future, about bridges and conversations so that you can move from NASCAR to the gospel, or you can move from pickleball to the gospel. Looking for opportunities to talk about spiritual things and not leave your relationship just on a, oh, this is my friend and all we ever talk about is fishing or this topic, and that's as far as we get. How do you get further than that? You can train, you can learn some methods, you can learn ways to do that. And then Paul says, you don't box like one just hitting the air. You might do some shadow boxing in training. I've only boxed recreationally, and I gave my friend a bloody nose, so it kind of left him, left a mark on me that stuck for a while. He went running into his house, you know, blood coming out of his nose. I thought you were supposed to hit the face. Anyway, if you are boxing and you never hit your target, why are you in the ring, right? You're just going to wear yourself out throwing punches. So if you're going to share the gospel, you need to clearly know it. And you're not just flailing around. You don't want to say things like, well, I really like my church, or I just feel better when I pray or when I read the Bible, or me and the man upstairs, yeah, we've, we've got an understanding. You want to share your life, your experience of your own story and how you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that your faith is not just a warm feeling that when I think about God, that I feel good. It's, I'm a sinner who needs to repent, and I needed forgiveness, and I couldn't save myself. But God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to pay the penalty for my sins, and to offer eternal life, to offer peace with God. We need to be able to share those important steps so that it's not just someone saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. How many of our friends will say that? I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus? Is this the God of the Bible? Is it the Jesus of the Bible? Or is it your own creation? My God would never let that happen. Have you heard people say that? They're creating their own gods just out of what they want God to be. And we don't get to do that. Nobody does. You can, but it doesn't do anything because 
The only way you can be saved is by knowing the real God, and he's revealed himself through his word. So it's really important that we're ready to share the gospel. On our website, we have the G-O-S-P-E-L, and we have some brochures with little tracks explaining that. We have the Romans Road that just showed up in Frank's uh, study a couple weeks ago where there's scripture verses and you can point people. This is what God's word says. And then we have to realize that it's the Holy Spirit that is going to convict people of their sin and their need for a savior. It's not you convincing them. We can train, we can prepare, we can share everything we can, but then it's up to the work of the Holy Spirit and that person to respond once their heart has been wakened up. God calls us to share the gospel and leave the rest to him. And then Paul talks about discipline, needing to keep his body under control. Being an effective witness means living a life that glorifies God. When you obey his word, when you choose his way instead of your way, then other people are going to see Jesus in your life. They're going to see his character. And when they say, well, why do you have it all together? It's because I'm following Jesus Christ. It's not anything I'm doing. It's God. Discipline means making hard choices with the words that come out of my mouth. Stopping them nine out of ten times before they come out. And then starting to train my mind to think differently. Why am I thinking those thoughts? Okay, let's back up one step. Let's stop thinking that way so that I can keep better control over my mouth. Jesus is not only your Savior, but he is your Lord. And that's why Paul said, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. Chapter 7, verse 22. Paul talks about his freedom, but he right very quickly turns around and says, but I am a slave to Christ. I've given him my life and I want to serve him with everything. We have this interesting comparison between freedom and slavery in Scripture. We're slaves to sin. Christ frees us from slavery, but then he calls us to become a servant to others, to be willing to give up all the freedom you have just to see other people come to know Jesus and to know that freedom. We need to obey Jesus instead of taking the easy way. And that's what an athlete does in training. Instead of staying home, staying in bed, they're up early and they're out training. Serious athletes have to say no to all kinds of things that are not wrong, but they're not going to help them prepare for their competition. They wake up early, they eat healthy, they say no to Twinkies, they exercise, they strengthen their bodies, they give up social activities that might keep them from training, they hang out with other athletes to encourage themselves, to push themselves, they go to bed early. And then they find a coach who will encourage, train, and push them to go even further than they thought they could, to hold them accountable. So if you're serious about your faith, if you want to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ, you too need to develop some serious spiritual disciplines. The ladies' class who Mrs. Massaro is teaching is going through a fantastic book called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. And I highly recommend it. It's a book that I read in my 
uh, my last course at Cedarville. There's a link on the online notes if you didn't jot that down in time, but I would encourage you to read this book because it's just some really good habits to build into your life and then to find somebody else. If you're looking for a coach, we have people at our church who would be excited to help disciple you, to help you grow. And if you're trying to do this just like another athlete, find a partner, find a buddy, and say, let's read this book together. Let's talk about it. Let's pray for each other. How can we spur each other on? Verse 27, the Apostle Paul says, discipline and training is necessary, getting ready for the game, but it also counts in the game. You need to be disciplined to know the rules and to follow them, even if the other team isn't playing fairly, even if the refs aren't making good calls, you have a choice to play by the rules or to not play by the rules. You can't lose your cool and do something stupid. Even when a player from the other team is taunting you, you have to just push all of that down and say, I'm not going to get a call because of this. You don't want to be disqualified. You don't want to be the one that causes your team to lose. And I'm going to bring up a really sore subject. Monday night, football. Bills versus the Broncos. This may still be raw for some of you. The Bills were leading. Only seconds to play. The Broncos marched down the field and they held them to a field goal. They didn't let them get a touchdown. And then they missed the field goal. Yay! And then what happened? 12 men on the field instead of 11. How hard is it to keep track of that? Well, somebody wasn't doing their job, right? Like our preschool and kindergarten teachers. How many kids do we have again? Keep counting, keep counting. How many guys are on the field? They lost the game because they were disqualified and the Broncos had a chance. And after the, the warm-up kick, he put it right through the uprights. They lost the game. We're not going to blame it on whoever let 12 guys on the field, but there were other things like an offensive holding call that reversed the Bills' touchdown. There were so many other opportunities where they were disqualified, and because of all of those little things, they lost the game. Today, it's a whole new thing, right? So, sorry about ripping that Band-Aid off, but it, it's just immediately came, what came to mind when I was thinking about being disqualified and making it all a loss. Paul said, I need to maintain self-control. I need discipline in my life so that after sharing the gospel with people, my own words and actions don't disqualify me from ministry. Don't ruin my testimony. Don't cause people to say, oh, Pastor Mark, that guy who said Jesus is the most important thing in his life, look what he just did. His life is a mess. Why would I keep following Jesus? Is this really real? One of the biggest turnoffs that non-believers have in, in talking about Christians is hypocrites. People who call themselves Christians and maybe tell everybody else, this is how you should be acting, this is what you should do, and then they act the wrong way. They sin and they kind of hide it or cover it up. So think about your online rants which everybody in the universe can see. Think about your inappropriate jokes in the hallway or in the locker room. 
your road rage. We live in a small town. Everybody knows what car you drive. Your poor performance at work or school, that's part of your testimony. You're screaming at the refs at your kid's game when the ref himself is maybe a 14-year-old. Oh my goodness. Basically, your Monday to Saturday real life, right? We're all here together, we see each other, we smile, and everything's great, but then, you know, you have Monday through Saturday. What does that life look like? Don't let that cause your Christian witness, your testimony, to be totally worthless. We need to talk the talk, but we need to walk the walk. We need to discipline our thoughts first, because that's going to control what comes out of our mouths and our actions. Paul said, take every thought captive. Think about it. Is this honoring to Jesus Christ? Is this true? Is it worthy of my time? Is it right? Is it commendable? Great things in Philippians. We need to back up and not just try to curb our actions in our mouths, but as we saw in gospel treason, we need to think about the sin beneath the sin. What's causing me to react this way? What in my heart is, what's going on in my heart that makes me think that is mine and I deserve it and whatever it takes to get it, I want it? Or What's causing me to treat this person the way I'm treating them? How am I really thinking about them? Do I see them as another person created in the image of God who is made to glorify God? And if they never hear the gospel, they're never going to be able to do that. And if my lifestyle is not worthy of the gospel, then I'm missing that opportunity. So our takeaways this morning... First one is, how's your agility? How's your flexibility? Mine's terrible. I can probably touch my toes. Oh, wow, lots of cracking. Yikes. We are not a flexible family, the Massaros. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your willingness to adjust, to approach different people differently, to not just be, well, this is the way I am. Take it or leave it. This is a quiet person. I need to speak quietly. This is an excitable person. I can get excited as I talk to them. This is a person who's been hurt by the church, who has past pain that is really going to take a while to mend and to heal. And for them to know that I really care about them and the church is filled with people, right? We're not worshiping each other. We're worshiping Jesus Christ. Look at a connection that you can build with someone so that you can have a conversation, so you can have a relationship. Don't just write people off and say, I'm done with them. There's no chance of them ever coming to know Christ. Look for opportunities to be with unbelievers. We do a lot of things together as a church, but if any of those activities keep you from getting out and actually loving your neighbors, then skip that night. Not saying skip Sunday morning worship, that's important, but if there's something else you need to do, do it. We don't want to be so busy being with each other, always training and preparing, that we're never out and actually sharing the gospel. We're not actually out there in the game. Show them how much you care about them. And keep loving them, even if they kind of say, well, that church stuff is not for me. Okay, 
Keep loving them. Keep building a relationship. Keep showing them Christ's love. That's what he told us to do, right? Love your neighbors. Love God and love your neighbors. If someone looked at your life, your work, your entertainment, your free time, your friends, what would they say your life goal is? Not what you tell them it is, but what would other people look at your life and say, oh, that's where this person is headed. That's what's most important to this person. That's what they'd give up anything for. What would other people say? And if you don't know what that answer is, ask them. Ask a family member. Ask a close friend. Ask a person you don't like at work. What do you think is going on in my life? What do you think makes me tick? And just get, an, get a reality check of what your life looks like to other people. We do a great job in our heads of fixing stuff all the time, right? We, we give ourselves grace all the time. We make excuses for ourselves, but we don't do that for other people. We always think we have the best intentions, and nobody else does. So get that reality check and see what your life looks like. What needs to change? And who can help you do that? And then how's your spiritual fitness plan coming along? I've started devotional plans as many times as I've started diets and exercise plans. I remember <laughs> telling my, uh, the pastor I worked with in Indiana that I was starting to use my stepper at home, you know, and I said, yeah, this is my second week, and he just smiled and looked at me like, yeah, it's the second week, and we'll see how long that goes, right? If you have somebody else that you're doing something with, it's always more encouraging. If you have somebody you're reading a book with, reading the Bible, praying with, get somebody on your team, get somebody with you so that you have some accountability. Don't give up. Keep training. Keep growing. Are all of your family members attending a Sunday school class? Do you make time to stay after church so that your kids get a chance to learn God's word and grow in it? Are you plugged into a growth group? That's the place where you get to know people at a deeper level, where you get a chance to be a little more real and to share what's going on in your life for some more prayer requests that you might not want printed on the weekly bulletin where you're in a smaller group. I would encourage you to try one of those. And if you're a newer believer, we would love to see you team up with someone to help you get started. We have new discipleship uh, books that someone could go, with, go through with you one-on-one. -on -one. Many people have done this already. And if that's something you've never done, even if you've been a Christian for years and you've never had that kind of training, we'd love to connect you with somebody. And then finally, are you safeguarding your personal life? Are you keeping yourself from being disqualified? Do you have an accountability partner or a group of people that you can really be honest with, that you can be transparent with, that will ask you hard questions and that you're willing to ask them those questions back. One of the best ways of doing this is giving someone permission, saying, I'm struggling with this. Would you be willing to ask me how I'm doing in this every once in a while? And when you give someone permission, often they want to turn around and say, yeah, I'll do that, but would you ask me about this? Would you give me permission to, to do that? I tell my deacons, and I've told all of you, if there's something I'm doing that offends you, please tell me. If I'm blind to something, and there's lots of things that I do wrong that I see, but if there's things that I'm blind to, tell me. I would rather hear it from one of you, somebody that loves me, and that I want to hear it from so that I can 
go to God with it and say, hey, this is something that needs to be fixed. If you don't have those kind of people in your life, find them. That's what we want to be, a church who is discipling each other, encouraging each other, helping each other grow. If you need help with any of these areas, stop by the Welcome Center, get some information about our counseling ministry, or you can just call an older man or an older woman in the church, somebody that you think is mature in the faith. Don't look for somebody who's weaker than you because they're going to give you a pass on everything. They're going to say, oh, that's okay, I do that too, no problem. Look for someone who's going to say, yeah, I've struggled with that and I'd love to help you. Give somebody a call, set up a time to have coffee and have a good hard talk about your life. If you're looking for someone to um, spend time in discipleship, Sarah will take your name down and we'll see if we can connect you with somebody if you can't find someone. So let's get ready for game day. Let's get out there and let's get in the game. Share the gospel because that is what people need more than handouts, more than clothes, more than food, more than anything. They need to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. And we have that gospel to share. Mark's going to come. We're going to close in a final song. And then I hope you'll stay for fellowship. I hope you'll stay for Sunday school. And tonight at the growth group, the Davis growth group, it's pie and praise night. So chance to share your blessings, share things you're thankful for, and a time to share pie, which is always good. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we could be together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's reality check for us to show us the things that we need to be doing to have an effective witness, to be able to share our testimony, to share the good news. I pray, Lord, that you'd help each one of us to be disciplined to do that, that we would be growing in our own faith, that we would be growing in our love and compassion for other people, and we would want to share the gospel with them. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of brothers and sisters in a church family to help us encourage one another. Now to our God and Father, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus the Son throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.